Hey, we are three weeks in uh, to a series that we started a while ago on fresh starts. And the whole idea of this series is that as we're looking through the Gospel of Luke, we're looking at how Jesus extended a fresh start to different people in different circumstances at different moments. And we've looked at uh, the fresh start that the first disciples received, specifically Peter. We've looked at the fresh start that Simon and the sinful woman received last week. Um, and today we're going to look at the fresh start uh, of another guy that uh, just kind of decides that he is not getting everything that's coming to him. And he wants to set it straight because he wants to make sure he's getting what's coming to him. And, and I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You just kind of felt like I'm not getting my fair due. I'm not getting my fair share. I mean, you know, like I'm not getting what's in it for me. And this guy yells out to Jesus in, in a setting and that's what he's concerned about. And Jesus uses it as an opportunity to help redefine for him how he thinks of money and possessions. And he gives him a fresh start. But I would just encourage us um, as we look at this passage, it's found in Luke chapter 12. And so if you have your Bibles, you can start turning there. If you have version on your phone, uh, you can pull it up on version. But um, as, as we think about this particular story... Uh, I don't want us to just get smarter about this guy's fresh start. The, the whole point of this series is for us to understand what God is doing in these people, the fresh start that he gives them, and for us to say, God, what is it you want me to hear? What is it that you have for me? Because I believe this. I believe all of us need a fresh start at different moments and at different times. And, and I don't know what that is for you, uh, but I believe that God has a fresh start for us this morning um, and I believe that he has a fresh start for us individually and corporately as a church. And so we're going to talk about both of those today. But Luke chapter 12, um, just to set it up for us, um, Jesus is in the midst of preaching. He's in the midst of teaching. Uh, he is communicating some truths. Uh, there's a theological debate that kind of blows up because that just seemed to always happen when Jesus was teaching and preaching. There's, there's some religious leaders who have some problems and, and they're trying to get into this religious debate with him. Uh, but in the midst of this teaching preaching moment, somebody in the crowd just kind of yells out and interrupts Jesus with a question. And I think Jesus handled it a lot better than I would handle it if in the middle of this sermon one of you just yells out something quite as random as what he yells out. Um, but Jesus uses this as an opportunity uh, to communicate some truths. And so in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, this is what the guy yells out. He says, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Now, kind of a, a random question or thought for us, uh, but you need to know that in Jewish Old Testament law, uh, what was common was that the older brother, uh, when the father would pass away, the older brother would get double the portion, and that older brother would then become the patriarch of the family. And then every other sibling after the older brother would get what was left over, and it would be remained in. And so uh, it was also pretty common if someone had a problem with how things were divided, they would bring it to a trusted rabbi in the community, and that trusted rabbi would sometimes settle the debate. So what's happening here seems really odd to us. It wouldn't have been quite as odd uh, to those that first heard it, but Jesus refused to get mixed up in this family squabble over money. 
But instead, uh, Jesus uses this as an, as an opportunity to teach this man, to give this man a fresh start in how he thought about money and possessions and for all the people in the crowd to have a fresh start about how they thought about money and possessions. And I believe um, that if we will pay attention and we will say, Lord, what do you have for me? That he can help us have a fresh start and how we think about money and possessions individually uh, and as a, as a corporate church. And so um, Luke chapter 12, verses 14 to 16 says this, Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. I'll just say this, everything after this line is supportive of this line. This is the point of everything else Jesus is going to say. And I would, I would just say for us as a culture, for us as, a, as an American group of people, uh, we need to hear this truth, that we need to guard against every kind of greed, and life is not measured by how much you own, because we live in a culture that tells us we should measure our life based on how much we own. That's, that's what everybody says to us. That's what our culture drives into us. And so then Jesus tells this story to unpack and to give us a further clarification of this. In verse 16, he says this, Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Now, if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you, or you have version, you can highlight or underline, what was it that produced the fine crops? It says specifically, he had a fertile farm that produced these fine crops. Now, the reason that's important is Jesus wants to be really clear what was it that produced the crops. And, and we'll see later in the story that this rich man was convinced he had produced all of these crops. And Jesus wanted to be very clear that, listen, it, it wasn't the rich man that produced these crops. It was the fertile farm that produced the crops. It was a good year. They had good weather, and God was the one that sent that good weather. There was some good soil, and God was the one who spoke that good soil into existence. There was good seed. There was, there was a lot of things that happened so that this farm could produce a lot of crops. Now, the rich man was convinced he had produced the crops, but Jesus from the very beginning wants to clarify, let me just make sure you understand who it was and what it was that produced the crops. It was the fertile farm. And so uh, verse 17 picks it back up. It says, and, and this is what I want us to do as we go through this. The reason the sermon is titled, I Trouble, is because I want you to see how many times in this passage the rich man uses a personal pronoun, and he talks about himself. He says this, He said to himself, What I do, what, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. And then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then I'll have enough room to store my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back 
and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So as we'll see later, the problem wasn't that he built a bigger barn. The problem wasn't that he wanted to save and he wanted to store some away. The problem was is that what he was doing was he was calculating his future And as he calculated his future, he was saying, I've now put aside enough that I can fully take care of myself and I'm going to be good and I don't need anyone else. I don't even need God. He didn't say that, but that was the heart that I've I've got so much I'm perfectly taken care of. I can sit back and I can relax and I'm good. I'm covered. I'm taken care of. And and sometimes, we just need to know this, um, sometimes our success can be our worst enemy. Um, if if you are successful, if you've been fruitful, if, if you have uh, accumulated some resources, um, if, if you live in America, you have more resources than 96% of the, other, the rest of the world. But uh, the fact that we sometimes do well can actually be our worst enemy. This is why sometimes the gospel, the good news of Jesus spreads faster in places in the world where there is all kinds of crises and poverty and, and difficulties and challenges. Um, but sometimes in America where we're so affluent and we have so much and we have things to entertain ourselves with, and when we have pain, we can medicate our pain or entertain our pain away. But because we have the resources, uh, sometimes our success can be our worst enemy. And in this case, uh, this, this guy, he is so successful, he says, I'm good. I don't need anything. I don't even need God is the heart behind what's going on here. And so uh, the problem in your notes, if you want to write this down, the, the problem was not his wealth or his bigger barn. Um, the, the truth is, um, God is not against storing and saving. In fact, over in the scripture, there's many, many places where God says it's wise to store. It's wise to save. It's, it's wise to not spend everything you have. Proverbs 21, 20 says this, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. And so, uh, if, if you're, if you're a wise person, and you save and you put some away, you're going to be able to, to have more later. Um, and if you're a spending kind of person that spends everything that comes into you, uh, Scripture would say you're a fool. And so some of us are spenders and some of us are savers. And if you're married, you're probably married to the opposite. Um, it's just kind of how God does it because He knows that us spenders you know, which would kind of fall, fall more into the foolish category. Us spenders need a saver in our life who can help us, you know, not be fools. 
and us savers over here, we need to have some spenders in our life to recognize, you know what, it's okay to enjoy life. And it's okay uh, to be able to, you know, not just keep piling away and, and not having any enjoyment with what God has blessed us with. And so um, it, it, there's a little bit of everything in there. And so, but we need to be wise. Scripture's not against saving. Scripture's not against uh, putting some away. Proverbs 6, uh, 6 through 8 says it this way, take lessons from the ants, you lazy bones, learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor all summer and they gather food for the winter. And so um, you need to know this about our church. Um, I'm not just encouraging you to do this in your individual lives. As a church, um, we actually have reserves. Um, and so um, we have actually two kinds of reserves. We have operating reserves and we have capital reserves. And so the operating reserves is if something really crazy happened, which several years ago when we really started developing reserves and we thought to ourselves, what in the world could possibly shut a church down for several months this was before a global pandemic hit, and we're like, oh, okay, that could. Um, you know, we actually said, hey, we need to have uh, several months of reserves to operate the church in case something happened that we had no resources coming in, but we wanted to continue to be a blessing to other people. And, and so we have operating reserves that can do that. Um, we also have capital reserves. So if something were to happen to the facilities that we've now paid off, if a major air conditioner were to go out, it's not an emergency. Uh, we have savings set aside that we can then replace those items. And so that's, that's wise. There's nothing wrong with that. And so Scripture would say we should do those things. Um, God's not looking for us to say uh, we, we have to put everything away. But there's another idea out there that says you can't even enjoy resources that you have. So there are some people, and this isn't quite as popular, particularly in America, uh, but there are some people out there that would say, you know what, if, if anything you have, you need to give it away. And you really can't even enjoy the blessings that God gives you. You should give everything away. And if you have any wealth, if you have any means, and you're not giving it all away, you're somehow not a good person. Um, and that, that too is not biblical. It's not scriptural. If it says this, in 1 Timothy 6.17, teach those who are rich in this world, <clears throat> and that's you, you're rich. You might not have known you were rich before you came in today, uh, but that is you, you're rich. If you drove a car here today, you're rich. Um, if you have running water in your house, you're rich. Uh, if you have air conditioning and heat, um, then you're rich. If you make as a household more than $40,000 a year, you are wealthier than 96% of the world's population. And so you didn't know that you were rich when you came here today, um, but the truth of the matter is, is if you didn't walk here, and if you have clean water that's drinkable, that you can turn a faucet and enjoy it from your house, you are rich. And it says here in Scripture, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for what purpose? For our enjoyment. It says right here there's nothing wrong with enjoying 
God's blessings. Um, now, there's an order to things, and we're going to talk about what that order is, uh, but God says it's okay to enjoy his blessings. So the problem wasn't his wealth or the bigger barn. The problem was his greed and his spiritual poverty. So you can write that in your notes. The, the problem was his greed and his spiritual poverty. Um, <clears throat> when, I, when I think about greed, um, I think it's important that I define this for us because you can be a very poor person. You can, you can have very little resources and you can be greedy. Greedy is not about how much you have. Greedy is a state of the heart. So you can have a very little resources and be greedy, or you can have a lot of resources and be greedy. Now, this particular story that Jesus tells is the story of a person who had a lot of resources and they were greedy. Uh, but you can also be generous and have very little resources. And I think sometimes we buy into the lie that in order to be generous, you have to have a lot. But Jesus tells a story uh, about a widow who there was a lot of people giving a lot of things. And, and for everybody on the outside, they would have said, all those people are generous. But this particular widow, she put in one widow's might and she gave away that one widow's might. And that was all she gave. It was a very small sum, but Jesus knew how much she had. And Jesus said that she was more generous than all the other people. And so generosity isn't about how much money you have. Generosity is about a state of the heart. And greed isn't about how much you have. Greed is a state of the heart. <clears throat> and so remember all those personal pronouns where the guy in the story was saying, my, 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 I, I. It was, it was just, it was all about him. Uh, whenever money is consuming your thinking, that is the heart of greed. So whenever it's all about my money and my stuff and either how much do I have and how can I get more because I don't have enough and it's all you think about, that's, that's moving into greed. Or if it's you have so much, you're how can I protect my assets? How can I collect more and how can I, how can I guard it and, and make sure it stays safe? And, and all you can think about is that nest egg. Both of those lead in to greed. And so, this is true for churches or individuals that storing more and more and more away uh, can become spiritual, spiritually problematic because here's the question, how much is enough? How much is enough? If, if you have a little bit, and most, most people, this is interesting, most people in America would say, if I just had $1,000 more a month, I would be good. Like just... $12,000 more a year, man, I would, I would just be, that would be enough. Now, what's interesting about this, they've did research on this. People who make $30,000 say that. People who make $60,000 say that. People who make $90,000 say that. People who make $120,000 say that. People that make $250,000 a year, all of them come up with a very similar number that says, if I just had about $1,000 more a month, I would have enough. The problem is, is that keeps moving that target, and and when you when you get a little bit more, then then you just oh, I just need a little bit more, and and it just keeps moving. And so this this isn't in your notes, but you maybe should write this down. That if you say you'll be content when you reach a certain amount, that amount, hear me on this, will always be out of reach. If you say, I'll be content when I reach a certain amount, and you have that amount in your head, you need to know that amount will always be out of reach because when you get to that, there'll be another amount, and there'll be another amount, and you'll just keep chasing after that. There, it, is, it is a state of the heart, and Jesus is trying to help this man 
And Jesus is trying to help the crowd that was listening. And Jesus was trying to help us understand contentment and peace and, and being, being where we need to be in trusting him is a state of the heart, not a matter of how much money we have. And I think some of us need to hear that. After a, after a pandemic, there are many of us in our church, there are many of you online who are struggling, and you need to know it's not about how much you have, it's about how much you trust God with what you have. Um, there are others of us that are doing well, and you need to know it's not about how much you have and guarding what you have, it's about trusting God even as you have been blessed. And so... Uh, we need to know that greed is a big deal in the Bible. Uh, over and over and over in Scripture, we see that, that greed is a big deal. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10 through 10 says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who are thieves, who are greedy people, who are drunkards, who are abusive, who cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5.5 5 says this, You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. So every time, the reason it says that a greedy person is an idolater, this is an interesting phrase, the reason Scripture says that is because every time uh, we say, God, I know you want me to do this. I, I know that I know that I know that you've asked me to do this. But God, I'm going to kind of push you to the side, and I'm going to take care of over here what I think I need to take care of first. And when I take care of this, God, I'll take care of what you're asking me to take care of. Anytime we push God to the side then what we have put to the forefront in front of God becomes an idol. That's what an idol is. That's what idol worship is. And so anytime we're saying, okay, God, yes, but not yet. I've got to take care of this. Um, that's what this is. So it says a greedy person is an idolater worshiping these things over here because these things over here are more important than what God is asking and calling us to do at this moment in our lives. And so this is true. You need to know this. This is true for the church as a whole, as well as it is for us as individuals. That uh, we need to understand that um, just as individuals, <clears throat> we can get to the place where we say, okay, God, when I reach this certain amount, then, then I'll be ready to do whatever it is, or I'll be content, or I'll be satisfied. The same is true for us as a church. For, for us as a body of Christ, we can slip into the attitude and the aspect of saying, okay, God, when we take care of all of this stuff for ourselves, then we'll start doing some things for people in the community. <clears throat> and the truth is, we have got to keep a priority that says, God, I'm going to prioritize giving first, and then I'm going to prioritize taking care of myself second. And as a church, you need to know that we do that, and, and we live that way. So, <clears throat> Here's some things that you need to know. Greed's top three early warning signs. And the reason I want to give you these, some of you know already I'm greedy, <clears throat> and you're saying, man, I'm really greedy. I'm struggling with this. Some of you know that. Most of you don't. Here's how I know that about you, because I know that about myself. I can spot greedy people a mile away. I mean, I can name you 10 greedy people right now, just like, right? But I have such a hard time seeing greed in Brad Fink's life. It's there. 
It's there. there. There are more times than not that I slip into being greedy myself and, and thinking about my own resources. And, and, and it just happens. The problem is I don't see it in myself. I see it in other people. I see it in people on the news. I see it, you know, when I, when I see things that happen, when, you know, and I see, man, that person has so much. Why don't they give more away? And I forget that there's people that make so much less than me that would look at me and say, that guy makes so much. Why doesn't he give more away? And, and, and the reality is, is we see it in other people, but we don't see it in ourselves. And so here they are, just some, some warning signs. When my self-esteem is based on my possessions, when I feel better about myself, when I have certain things, when I have a certain status, when I have, if I, could, if I could just get this certain amount, then I would feel better about myself. Do you, do you remember how Jesus began the story? Jesus began this whole thing in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, and he said it this way. He said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. And when I'm measuring my life based upon how much I own, Jesus would say to me, and Jesus would say to you, beware, guard against that kind of greed. Be careful, you're treading into dangerous territory. Number two, when my security is based on my net worth. And some of you would say, well, I'm not the kind of person that's all about having more and status, and I don't need a bunch of stuff. You might not struggle with the first one, but you might struggle with the second one. The second one says... I, I'm only secure when I have a certain net worth. And the truth of the matter is, is whenever we slip into that attitude and we forget that our security doesn't come from our nest egg, our security doesn't come from our savings account, our security doesn't come from our retirement plan, our security comes from God. Now that doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise, it doesn't mean we shouldn't save, it doesn't mean we shouldn't put things away. But we shouldn't trust in those things that we put away. We should trust in God. He's the source of our security. The fool in Jesus' story thought he had put enough away that he was good. And God reminded him, you're not good, you're a fool. You're a fool. Everything you've put away, you can't take with you. That You can't pull a U-Haul behind you to eternity. That you're going to one day leave it all behind. And so... Uh, James 4, 13 to 16 says it this way. Look here, you who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and we'll make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans and all such boasting is evil. And so he doesn't say it's wrong to plan. He doesn't say it's wrong uh, to prepare for a rainy day. He just says, don't be like this fool that says, I don't now trust in God. I've got all these resources, thanks to God, but I now don't need to trust and put my hope in him. And so number three is this, when my stuff is my stuff. Here's, here's one of the, the key principles of scripture. And I, and I should, I should just say this. For those of you who are watching online and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. For those of you who are in this room and you haven't yet surrendered your life to Jesus. God does not ask anything of you. You need to hear this really clearly. Um, there is, there is no expectation that you would somehow give to God that you would that you would give to a church, that you would give anywhere. 
God expects nothing of you. Our church expects nothing of you. Um, that, that's just the truth, that the gospel is free. The message of hope and forgiveness is free. Here's, here's the point of this, is after you have surrendered your life to Jesus, after you have chosen to follow Jesus, then you say, okay, Lord, I now recognize as a follower of you that I can trust you with my life and I can trust you with everything I have. And once we make that decision, then we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust that you will provide for all of my needs and everything I have is yours. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian who have, sur- who have surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, then you've said, every part of me is yours. All of my resources are yours. And, and so if you haven't made that decision yet, you get to just look around at all the Christians around you and go, well, I hope you're paying attention today. Um, uh, but if you have made that decision and you've surrendered your life to Jesus, then the message that Jesus is saying to you is your stuff is not your stuff. It's, you're a manager of God's stuff. You're simply someone who manages his resources. And so what do you do with the stuff that you manage? You should enjoy it, but you shouldn't hoard it. Scripture says it's okay to enjoy it. In Timothy, it said that we could enjoy it, uh, but there is a priority to how we do this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, 10 through 11 says this, For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And so you need to hear this. Whenever God enriches you, whenever God blesses you, it's not so that you can be like the rich fool and say, now I've got so much, I'll sit back and relax and build bigger barns. The reason God enriches us is so that we can always be generous. And, and then Paul says, and when, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And so whenever we use our resources to be a blessing to others and others thank God for that, uh, that is what God calls us to do. So here's a simple cure. Um, if, you, if you see yourself in any of those early warning signs, here's a cure uh, for us from the Bible. First uh, Timothy 6.17 says this, uh, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, that word proud is important, and not to trust in their money, which is unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So um, keep in mind you're wealthier than 96% of the world's population, that if you drove a car here today, you're rich. And when you think about that, you need to understand, um, number one, never think less of those with less. So this idea that Scripture says, uh, don't be proud. The, the problem is, is when you begin to be blessed by God, it is so easy for you to say, you know what, I've got these resources and people who have less than me, if they just worked harder, if they just had a better work ethic, if, if they just, and we think less of people with less. And whenever we do that, we start to puff ourselves up with pride. And scripture says, don't be proud. When God blesses you, thank him for his blessings, but don't become proud. Now, we all know that there are sometimes that's true. There's sometimes that you've had a harder work ethic. There's sometimes that you've done things, but don't, don't make those assumptions. It's not good for your heart. It's not good for your soul. Just say, thank you, Lord, that you have blessed me. Thank you that you've given me opportunities, that you've given me a mind, that you've given me strength to, to work and produce. 
And then the second is this, plan on losing it or leaving it behind. Just plan on it. Live like this. Because this rich fool, he was living like this, and God said, you fool, what are you going to do? I'm going to take you, I'm going to take your life tonight, and you can't take it with you. And so whenever we live like this, we, we rob ourselves of a rich relationship with God. When we live like this, we can receive God's blessings, and we're quick to pass on His blessings. And we enjoy His blessings uh, in the midst of all of that. And then number three is this, lead with generosity. And I would just say practice 10% giving. And so, again, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're not a follower of Jesus, just poke the person next to you and say, you should do this stuff. Um, but if you're a follower of Jesus, let me hear me on this. There are training wheels to generosity. And the Bible gives us some training wheels to generosity. Um, it's hard to become a generous person instantly, like to just wake up one morning and say, decided I'm going to be generous and just magically become generous. It's, it's just hard to do that. And so Scripture understands that. Scripture actually gives us some training wheels to move towards generosity. And the biblical model for that is 10% giving. The biblical model for that is for us to do what we as a church do. And you should know this about us we don't ask you as individuals to do anything that we don't do as a church corporately. Um, and so the first, uh, about 13 to 15% of every dollar that comes to us as a church, and sometimes that's gone up to closer to 20%, we give away immediately outside of our walls. Um, so we don't, we don't figure out how we're going to make our ends meet and how we're going to pay our electric bill and how we're going to pay off our mortgages. And we, we don't do all of that first and then say what we have left we'll give. We give first as a church. And then after we give, we save and we put some aside and we say, hey, we need to have operating reserves and we need to have capital reserves because that's what wise people do. And then we're generous in blessing others and blessing you. You receive the blessings of our church all the time. The fact that you're sitting in a nice, comfortable chair, and we've got nice technology, and there's air conditioning in this place, um, these are all blessings that we get to enjoy. Uh, but even as we enjoy them, we're able to extend those blessings to people outside of these walls and to make a difference in the community and, and reach out to others. And so... Uh, leading with generosity is important. It says this again in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. So the Bible doesn't tell us to give it all away in your personal life. And the Bible doesn't tell you that you shouldn't save. The Bible says you should save. The Bible says that you should give portions away. And then the Bible says that you should live like this and you should recognize everything you have is God's and he's just called you to be a good manager. So in your individual life, my hunch is, is that there's a fresh start that God has for us. I know that he has something for me. Um, and there's just some ways that we slip into going in some directions that we don't, we shouldn't go, we don't want to go. So in, in our individual lives, my prayer is that you would say, God, 
how do you want me to handle my resources to more align with your priorities? The reason Jesus told this guy that yelled out in the crowd, hey, teacher, tell my brother to divide the state with me. The reason Jesus told him this story is Jesus wanted him to prioritize his life in such a way that he actually experienced real life. And that's the same thing he wants for all of us. But what I want to do right now is I want to take a moment and I want to tell you what we plan to do as a church. So individually, God has a message for us. But corporately as a church, I believe God has a message for us as well. And so I just want to highlight uh, another story that Jesus tells us in Matthew 25, 14 to 30. It's not in your notes because you can write it down. It's, it's the story where there are three people that are given resources by the master. Um, and the master in this story is God. And one person is given five bags of silver, one person is given two bags of silver, and one person is given one bag of silver. And in this story that Jesus tells, the person that received the five bags of silver immediately goes and invests those five bags and doubles them. And the person that got the two bags of silver immediately invested them and doubles them. And the only one who didn't double their bag of silver was the third person who actually dug a hole and buried it. And because they dug a hole and they buried it, when the master got back, he praised the first two and he condemned the third person. Now, here's, here's the point with this. I, I don't know why there isn't a part of the story that says, the person who invested the five bags lost it. And I don't, I don't know what would have happened if that would have been the case. Um, maybe it's because, and somebody challenged me with this recently, maybe it's because in the kingdom of God, because at the beginning of the story, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like. Maybe in the kingdom of God, whenever you invest God's resources into the kingdom, you can't lose it. The only way that you can lose is if you bury it in the ground. Um, and so here's, here's something that you need to know about uh, that's coming up. We as a, as a church uh, leadership, the church board, um, the church staff, um, and, and the key leaders of our church, we've prayed a lot about what are we going to do now that we have paid off our facilities. So these, these facilities are debt-free. We have paid off this investment. And, and what you need to know is it is our desire that we would not be like this rich fool. That we would not say, now that we've paid off these facilities and we have so much money a month that we were paying towards a mortgage, let's just, let's just build a bigger nest egg and let's just build a more saving, let's, let's just kind of keep storing and we already have reserves, but let's get more reserves and, but then they get into the question, how much is enough? And when do you have enough? And, and, and so we don't want to be like this rich fool. We, we don't want to be like the guy in this story that buried the bag of silver and gets condemned for it. But, but we want to say we want to reinvest God's dollars. And, and so here's, here's what you need to know. On April 11th, uh, right after Easter, the week after Easter, we're going to have, uh, we're going to begin what's called the Engage Initiative. Um, and, and the Engage Initiative is going to be about us communicating uh, as a church, what is the vision for the future? What, how do we believe God is calling us to invest our dollars here locally and to invest our dollars globally to make a difference? How can we invest in the kingdom to make the greatest impact? And so over the next three years, we're going to be a part of this Engage initiative. 
Um, and really, there's going to be two parts to this Engage initiative. The first part is that we would all make a relational investment, that all of us would build a relationship with one person who doesn't know Jesus, who lives here locally, and that we would simply invest time with that person to help them take steps towards Jesus, that there would be a relational key to this. And the second would be a financial key, that we would say, Lord, how can I use my dollars to be a blessing to people here locally and globally and make a difference for your kingdom around the world? And so as we're a part of this, um, I just want to let you know this is coming. So today is just just that. It's coming. Uh, so on your way out the doors today, you're going to receive <clears throat> a card, and it has just a save the date uh, save the date card. And, and there's some important dates coming. They're on the screen. Um, just want to highlight a couple of them. We're going to have a sermon series that's going to be all about the heart behind this and the specific initiatives that we're going to be a part of here locally and globally. Uh, there is the opportunity for you to be a part of dessert nights. And, and all of you are going to get an invitation to a dessert night. And those dessert nights are going to be kind of like a town hall setting where uh, you'll be able to hear the vision again. And you'll be able to ask questions and ask for clarification and say, hey, what, what is this about? Or what about this? And what about that? Uh, there's going to be uh, opportunities uh, for you to have a, a prayer and seek the Lord in a prayer and worship night. There's a commitment Sunday and there's a celebration Sunday. Um, you you have questions about this. I know that. And you're going to say, man, that's, that's several weeks away. I've got questions now. Hang on to them because we're going to answer all of your questions. And I'm looking forward to April 11th where I'm going to be able to share all the details of this. Um, if you know some of the details, I'll just ask you. If someone comes to you and asks you for details, my hope is is that you would say, wait till April 11th, and we'll all hear together. Um, and I, I want us to be able to celebrate this together. Um, and, and we're excited about what's coming. I, I believe God's best days are ahead of us as we say, Lord, we're going to invest your dollars. And here's, here's what I believe. I believe that five years from now, we will double the impact that we have now because we've invested God's resources well. I believe that with all my heart. And so if you look around and you say, hey, what does doubling look like? It means doubling everything that we do uh, to make a difference for the kingdom. But that only happens when we invest God's resources. Um, and so we want to do that. I want to pray. And then uh, we're going to close this morning. Uh, bow your heads with me. Father, we, we thank you that... <clears throat> As we look at this guy's story, we see a lot of ourselves. The truth is, is all of us have so many thoughts and questions about resources and dollars and amounts and, and how much we need to be secure and how much we need to be comfortable and how much we need to be safe and, and how much we need to just make ends meet. And, and we have so many worries and concerns. And God, I, I thank you that you are trustworthy. I thank you that you don't call us to give, to somehow get more, Lord, that you are the owner of everything in the universe and you don't need my money. You don't need my resources. But Lord, I thank you that you want me to trust in you and you've, you've taught me a way to prioritize my life in a way that I can put my trust in you. Lord, I thank you that you can do that for each of us, that, that you can help us prioritize our lives in such a way that we're wise, but we live with open hands. 
and that we recognize it's not our stuff, it's your stuff, and we're simply managers. Help us to, help us to do this better in our individual lives, Lord. We surrender everything over to you again this morning, and we say we trust you. We believe you're trustworthy. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that as a church, that we wouldn't just build bigger barns and have bigger savings account and bigger reserves, that that, Lord, we would understand you've called us to invest your dollars to make a difference in the lives of people who are far from you. And that we would continue to live that way, that we would be generous first, that we would prioritize making a difference in the world first. Even before we meet our own needs, we would give to others. And God, we believe that as we do that, you'll continue to bless and that you'll help us double the impact that we have right now, that we would double the amount of baptisms that we have. We would double the amount of kids that we have. We would double the amount of students we have. We would double the amount of adults that were able to impact their lives with your love, that we would have a greater impact for your kingdom here and around the world because we didn't say it was all about us, but we said it was all about you and your kingdom. Help us to be that way, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.